Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Science of Magic, where we combine the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring messages from the hidden worlds. Like everything else, reality expresses according to frequency. Yet, the linear mind does not decipher frequencies. In order to put frequencies into a framework the mind can understand, they're allegorically represented in the imagination. We use the resulting metaphorical symbols to translate frequency into a holographic form that's user-friendly to the linear mind. Thus, what we consider to be physical reality is actually a hologram comprised of a series of compartmentalized collections of symbols. But what of all the quantum space between the compartments of perceived reality? These hidden worlds are the larger part of unified reality, whispering to us through our imagination, dreams, synchronistic events, and even that little mental voice within. 
If we could decode the whispers from the space between compartments, we would have access to the time-space continuum, granting the ability to predict future trends and find our sweet spot therein, allowing us to co-create our experience. How do we access the unified quantum field? How do we decode the information from between worlds? Can we use this hidden information to create successful lives? Our guest this hour has spent much time pondering this very subject. Rizwan Virk is the best-selling author of Zen Entrepreneurship, Walking the Path of the Career Warrior, and Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Inner Clues to Find True Success. He's received a BS in Computer Science and Engineering from MIT and an MS in Management from Stanford GSB. Riz is a successful entrepreneur, video game industry pioneer, and independent film producer. Among his productions are Turquoise Rose, Thrive, What on Earth Will It Take?, and the cult classic Knights of Bad Astom. His website, zinentrepreneur.com. Riz, thank you so much for being on the Science of Magic with us. Well, it's great to be here. We should have some fun today. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me, with an education in computer science and engineering, how did you become involved in intuition? Well, you know, I, I tend to spend a lot of my time, you know, with people that are in the science and engineering world or with people that are in the business world. Uh, and intuition is something that in both of those realms, they don't really talk about <laughs> too much, although yeah. it turns out it's, you know, pretty important in both of those realms. I mean, if you look at most successful scientists, uh, you know, they have some kind of an intuitive flash after working on some problem for a while. You know, which leads to their big breakthrough, uh, you know, including Einstein with his thought experiment of what would happen if he was on a beam of light. And mm. so it's this ability to go into that intuitive place and then bring back something that can eventually be translated into terms that, in his case, the scientific world understood. And I think the same is true of many successful business leaders. I and mean, if you look at you know, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, and many of the people that I work with here in Silicon Valley, uh, they often use their intuition or their gut feelings, or their hunches, but they don't call it that, right? <laughs> they say, I'm pattern matching, for example, right? But they sometimes meet a person, and they have an intuition of whether they want to work with them or not, and then they follow through with that. Um, and, and so in my own career, I started to see you know, examples of hunches and things appearing in, in, in both my intuition and in my dreams, which would then you know, manifest in the real world. And I started to ask myself questions about what caused what you know when when I, I remember one day i had a dream of a competitor that i hadn't heard of in over a year one morning and i thought that's odd i haven't dreamt of or even thought about this person in a long time and that well, morning gonna, i got a call we're gonna, have to, you know? we're gonna have to pick up on the dreamscape on the other side of a short commercial break it's time for that break so first let me tell you about an exciting upcoming provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment shamanic style path home shamanic art school galactic art of the ancients key to tomorrow and children of tomorrow galactic gatekeepers are revolutionary affordable series of online classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition they'll be coming shortly to findyourpathhome.com riz and i will return shortly and talk about dreams and intuition so don't go away you're listening to the science of magic aired daily on xfpn.net prior episode
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Rizwan Virk, is a best-selling author of Zen Entrepreneurship, Walking the Path of the Career Warrior, and Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Inner Clues to Find True Success. His website, zenentrepreneur.com. Riz, we were talking about a dream you had. Would you mind continuing with that? That was intriguing. Sure. And this was, you know, one of many experiences that I had uh, when I was starting my first company just out of MIT that made me question you know, kind of the solidity of the world and the standard cause-effect relationship that, that we talk about. So um, in, in the new book, Treasure Hunt, I talk about the rules of treasure hunting. And, and the first rule is, is it unusual? And in this case, I had a dream about a competitor of ours that I said, as I mentioned, I hadn't heard from in over a year. I hadn't really thought about that person. And so it was a little unusual. So I woke up thinking, huh, why did I have a dream with this competitor, this guy? I haven't heard from him in over a year. So I went into the office of my, my first startup, and I recount this experience in, in Zen entrepreneurship, uh, and I got a call as soon as I got in the office from IBM saying that you know they were going to create a product which was going to compete with ours and possibly might crush our product, and they just wanted to give me a heads up. And I said, well, wait, if you're going to create a product that's going to crush ours, how did that happen? I, I never heard anything about this. And they said, oh... It's because we bought that company that was a competitor of yours about a year ago. And it was the same guy that I had just had the dream about. <laughs> and I thought to myself, huh, you know, my sort of logical MIT trained engineer's mind w- would say that that couldn't happen. And so, you know, that, that was a perfect example of a synchronicity or what I call a clue uh, in Treasure Hunt, where there's an internal event and an external event, and they're somehow related, but we can't see the causation in the physical world. Which, of course, brings the next question up. How do you start interpreting that sort of thing? Because it happens all the time if we pay attention. But then how do we match it up? How do we know what it means? Sure. So, you know, the more we learn to pay attention to these clues, uh, the more uh, I think we become adept at interpreting them. And so in the book, I talk about a process, uh, kind of an informal process that I call the clue life cycle. 
And the idea is that you know, when you notice something unusual, uh, you know, it may or may not be a genuine clue that's asking you to go in a certain direction. Uh, and so the first stage is intuition. The second stage is interpretation, where you look at the clue and you say, well, what, what might this be telling me? Uh, and then the third stage is confirmation. So sometimes you need to look for a second clue that confirms the first one uh, before you jump in, and then you take an action based upon that interpretation. So just like you know, you might interpret a dream, you can actually interpret you know, the things that, that are happening around you based upon your personal experience. And clues are very personalized. Uh, and that's you know, the third, the second rule of treasure hunting is if it repeats, it might be a clue. And the third is that the clues are very personalized. So if you and I walk into a room, you know, our intuition may tell us to talk to completely different people. Or in a bookstore, there may be completely different titles that, that jump out to us. And so, you know, it, it depends very much upon what we've been thinking. I'll give you another example. Uh, a few years back, I was considering, I was living in Boston, and I was considering you know, coming out to California part-time and trying to live on both coasts. And it was kind of a diff—it was a difficult thing to try to, try to swing. Yeah, a bit <laughs> of a stretch, yeah. Yeah, I was still in my 20s. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and as I was walking around New England, I started to see mermaids everywhere. And not real mermaids, but statues of mermaids. <laughs> and, now, the funny thing is, I, those statues had been there. I'd been living in Boston for over 10 years, and I had never noticed them before. But they had been there all along in all these seaside towns. So my attention was being drawn to them. So one, it was unusual. Second, it was repeating. And the third is I started to think about, well, what does a mermaid represent to me? And, and to me, it represents somebody that's in two worlds at once. Um, and it was sort of a confirmation about my decision to try to live at that time on both coasts, but also, you know, more more metaphorically, living in the business world and the spiritual world, you know, where time. often people don't talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that also brings up another question for me: is uh, it seems to me like dreams and intuitions can have more than one meaning, and it might have a meaning at the time, and then you might find later that it was also precognizant. Would you speak to that? Yeah, I mean that's that's very true. Um, and so let's take that example of. Um, you know, of, of the mermaid and wanting to live in, in both coasts, uh, the East Coast and the West Coast, you know, so that was sort of one meaning. At another level, over time, I discovered, you know, that that's sort of one of my symbols for bridging the gap between East and West, both in terms of Eastern philosophy and a lot of the Western science and business, you know, that I've been part of. And so dream symbols are often what psychologists call overdetermined which means they have more than one meaning or more than one interpretation. And all of those interpretations you know, can be true. And the same is, is true with clues. And so the clue life cycle, after you take an action, you know, later you look for uh, uh, validation of that, and then you look for the next clue in that series of clues. Uh, and that might happen over a very long period of time. So it may not happen right away. Uh, if we have a, a few minutes here before a break, I'll tell you a story, another story that demonstrates that. Okay, I have, I have a real quick question that might go into this story. Is um, do you find that uh, journaling, so that you keep track of all of this, is helpful? Uh, yes, definitely. And so, in in the book, I talk, I use the example of Indiana Jones and his films, where he's trying to find a treasure. And in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Sean Connery plays Indy's father, and he has this diary that he's been carrying around with him his whole life. He calls it his grail diary because he's looking for the Holy Grail. And he writes down his clues in that book over time. And, and that's really you know, something I recommend is to have your own book of clues 
and to write down these clues as they happen because you need to draw connections, sometimes over many, many years, as in the case of Indiana Jones's father, who, which, you know, he discovered where the Holy Grail was in that movie uh, many years later. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? And um, so you had a story to tell. Oh, yeah. So th this is a you know simple example of a story where a clue might manifest itself years later. Uh, and so there was a young man in college uh, in Oregon, uh, and he decided to, to drop all his classes. And he wasn't sure why, but he just didn't want to take them anymore. So he was paying attention to his intuition. And as he was walking at the edge of campus, he noticed a, a, a flyer for a calligraphy class. And he said, oh, you know, that's calling to me. And, and he wasn't sure exactly why, but he decided to take that class <laughs> instead of the normal classes that he should have been taking. And he ended up learning all about fonts and serifs and all of this great stuff. Well, turns out years later, you know, that young man started a computer company called Apple. It was Steve Jobs. And, and when <laughs> he was creating the Macintosh, it was only because he took that class years earlier that he insisted there be multiple fonts. In, in the original Macintosh. So we might be looking at, you know, green screen fonts still today <laughs> if he hadn't, you know, had the intuition to take this class. And that's how, you know, clues may, may evolve over many, many years. Yeah, so it sounds important to, to keep track of them. Another question I have for you is, um, you know, there, everything's just random out there unless we have some kind of an intention to refer them back to. Can you speak to that? Sure. So, you know, there's, this process that uh, I refer to in, in Treasure Hunt of incubating a clue. Uh, and the idea is that you would ask a question, which you would write down, you know, before you go to sleep or certain points of the day. And then you would watch the clues over the next few days. And, and so, you know, I, I had heard about this from the idea of incubating a dream from one of my mentors, Robert Moss. Then years later, I found out that this was a tradition in, in, in many you know, religions and, and spiritual practices. So I was born in Pakistan, which is an Islamic country, and, and this was something that I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of, but my brother had moved back to Pakistan, and he wanted to marry a, a Pakistani girl there. And her father said, well, I have to do ishtakara. And I was like, well, what's that? Well, it turns out it's a, it's a process where you ask for uh, the answer to a question, and then you, you monitor your dreams and things that happen to you over the next three days. And you look for messages from God or from angels that might help you confirm, you know, the direction that you should go in. And, and I that's, thought, huh, like, like, that's the basis behind all shamanic practices too. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We have an intention in shamanic practices to go into non-ordinary reality. And so, you know, whether it's Western or Eastern religions or, or Native American traditions, there's a long history of being able to set an intention and to look for clues. But but I get back to my first rule of treasure hunting, which is, is it unusual? We don't want to delude ourselves and, you know, and say predetermine what the answer should be. And that's why it's important to, to kind of take note of the tenor of the clue and to have multiple clues, uh, which is what the clue life cycle is all about. Well, you know, sometimes a dog running across the street is just a dog running across the street. How can you tell the difference? <laughs> That's right. And so, you know, the question is, have you noticed this dog before? <laughs> Were you drawn to it? Was the dog there all along in, in that street and you just never noticed it all these years? <laughs> now, if you noticed it every day, then it's just an everyday occurrence, right? <laughs> <laughs> so um, what exactly is intuition? Where does it come from? Well, so there's lots of different theories about that, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the book, I, I explore this uh, two different ideas of where clues come from. And the first is more of a spiritual, religious tradition. Uh, and the second is more from the scientific uh, 
perspective. And and so, you know, as I started to notice these clues and how they happened, you know, out of order, if you will, I started to delve into to quantum physics. And I started to realize that, you know, the description of the world the quantum physicists give us is is more amenable to this type of, of clue, which I, I often refer to as a, as a glitch in the quantum matrix. Right? Mm-hmm. And in, in quantum physics, there's this idea that every time we make a decision, the world branches. And so you end up in parallel universes or parallel worlds. And the idea is that there are multiple future selves that are calling to you. Uh, and if you tune into one of those future selves, that makes that particular pathway more likely than the other ones. So, you know, information literally is traveling from the future to the present and from the present to the past in what's called an, uh, an offer wave, which has the probabilities uh, of all of these different possibilities happening. And there's a, there's a great physicist from Berkeley whose name is Fred Allen Wolf, who says that our minds are like time machines, able to sense the flow of information from the future and the past. And, and so I thought that was a very interesting way to describe, you know, how all of this works from a uh, quantum physics perspective. Yeah, you know, there's this formula that's been proven that says that causality is equal parts past and future and only happens in the present. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, that is very fascinating. And, and you know, so the idea is that if, if I notice something and then later that something happens, uh, you know, is it because... I noticed it in the in the past, and then when I got to the future, it happened because of that, or the other way around. Did I notice it in the past because one of my future selves was going to to be involved there? And and you know, I've had that experience where I've I've driven by a building and something about it calls out to me, and I'm not sure why. And then a few years later, I end up living in that building. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, am I catching a glimpse of the future? Am I creating the future? You know, that's an open question. But I think you know, quantum physics does a good job of showing how it's all interrelated. Yeah, and it's because we're so linear, quantum physics is not, is it? Yeah, not at all. And so, you know, the the past and the future kind of work together. Um, and, you know, there's this this idea that you when you branch, if you think of like a single point that has two lines extending in different directions, you can think of that as the branching of parallel worlds. And then, you know, when I was meditating, I saw those worlds coming back together, <laughs> Uh, just as a diagram. And I thought that's a good way to think about it in that there are many places that we may have meant to be, to be and then we can get back to those places even if we take different choices. Yeah. Well, it's time for another short pause. We'll get on to branching and coming back together on the other side. Ritz and I will return to our discussion, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, the land of new and exciting things. Don't miss any of their fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour, Rizwan Virk, is the best-selling author of Zen Entrepreneurship, Walking the Path of the Career Warrior, and Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Inner Clues to Find True Success. His website, zenentrepreneur.com. Riz, we were just talking about how... Uh, our lives can branch out into multiple options and then come back together again. Would you mind uh, expounding on that? Sure. You know, as I mentioned, I, I had seen you know, this this symbol in, in in a meditation, and I began to think about what it meant. And I realized it was related to you know the studies I was doing around quantum physics, where every time we make a decision, we branch into parallel worlds, and then sometimes those worlds come back together. Uh, and so, you know, I thought about it at a simple level. You know, there are major decisions we might make, like I may live in Boston, I may live in California, or both, right, which might lead down very different paths in life. But then there are many inconsequential decisions. You know, I might decide to have oatmeal versus uh, cereal or a pear this morning. Uh, those decisions, while technically they might branch into different quantum realities, kind of merge back together and we continue more or less on the path that we were on. Uh, but sometimes I think our intuition... Uh, and, and what I call clues are really tapping into some of these parallel lives and or parallel worlds. Now, there's a great example I use of an episode of Star Trek. You know, I'm a big fan of science fiction. <laughs> and in this episode, you know, the the Enterprise uh, sees another Enterprise from the past, which has gone through some kind of time travel, and that Enterprise was destroyed in the past. And so uh, by the Klingons, and so the crew of the Enterprise, led by Captain Picard, decide they're going to save it. And so that enterprise is never destroyed in the past. And what happens is they suddenly end up on a completely different timeline where they're in an extended war that has been going on for generations. Now, they don't know that anything has changed, but they're suddenly on a different timeline. They don't know there's this other parallel reality that we've been watching all along where they weren't always at war, except one of the aliens on the show played by Whoopi Goldberg. She plays a character named Guinan. She senses in her mind that something is off. that something's not quite right about this reality, that there's another reality. Nobody else can sense it, but they follow her intuition, and they end up you know, sending the other Enterprise back to the past where it gets destroyed as it's supposed to happen, and they end up back on the original timeline. And so you know, this is kind of a dramatic example of different parallel worlds and different timelines. But the key to sensing them, you don't have to be an alien or, or Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> you can usually just sense them yourself. And I've had instances you know, where I've walked by you know, university uh, here, Stanford University, for example, and sensed an alternate me that ended up going down the path of becoming an academic and becoming a professor. Whereas in this reality, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a filmmaker, I make video games, a very non-stuffy, <laughs> non-academic type of, of person. But there's this other me out there, and I think we can, we can tap into our parallel uh, selves. And potentially kind of like, even kind of like yeah. meeting yourself coming and going, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and then you can actually, you know, get some 
you know, figure out what some of the strengths are of yourself in this other reality. And, and you can incorporate some of those, you know, in, into your own life just through the mind and intuition, which is the key receiver, you know, in, in, in quantum physics. So is this kind of like uh, an explanation for uh, deja vu? Yeah, so deja vu is one of the you know interesting types of clues. And so again, I define a clue as a, a coincidence between an internal and an external event. And so you know deja vu happens sometimes when we walk into a place or when we meet a person for the first time, and we're like, you know, where have I met this person before? And there's lots of possibilities for that. Of course, the neuroscientists have their own explanation about neurons firing, but I, I would say from my own experience that you you may have seen that person in a dream. Before, you may actually know that person or that place uh, in a parallel reality. Uh, you may be living there. You may be working there, which is why it makes such an impression on you. Or this may be a future self uh, that is involved with either the place, person, or thing which is giving you the deja vu. Um, and you know, all of those are valid according to, to different, different interpretations of, of how intuition works and, and where clues come from. It's, it's almost kind of like a warp and the weave, isn't it? Um, I know it was portrayed quite nicely in the movie The Matrix, where when people would have a deja vu, it was a, a ripple in the programming. So it would be like two timelines crossing suddenly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I like to think of it as a glitch in the, in, in the Matrix. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's something that maybe shouldn't happen, but happens because our minds are able to sense more than just the reality that we're seeing. Uh, and, you know, in quantum physics, it's the conscious act of observing, you know, which determines the, the reality and what they call the collapse of the probability wave into a specific uh, probability or reality. Um, Ooh, I've got a rabbit hole. Let's go down it, okay? <laughs> so, so if our reality is controlled by our belief system, and our belief system is is uh, basically programmed by education or by media or by whatever else. How, how much of what we sense is what we've been taught to sense, and how much of it is our freedom? Well, I think there's an element of both, right? Um, and I think there's what we've been taught by uh, the media and the environment. And then, you know, if you look at the ancient yogic traditions, you know, which I've spent a lot of time looking into, they talk about the, the, the mind and the body being like a series of clear sheets that surround the person. And over time, as we go through life, they get imperfections in them, what they call samskaras. And you can kind of view it as light coming in, which is what you're, you would normally perceive through a clear field or, or a clear set of sheets. But because of all these cataracts, if you will, <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in, in the sheets, we're already bending the light that comes in. So we're seeing it through our own personal perceptions. So we've got our own personal perceptions that happen through life. And then we've got the media. But then that's why I ask, you know, is it unusual as the first question when getting an intuition, right? As opposed to, is it something that happens all the time? And it could even be, you know, in the ancient traditions, they talk about because of the way we warp our field, we have what we call vasanas, which are our tendencies. Uh, and in, in, in the book, I talk about our patterns, so which are sometimes patterns that are not leading us towards success. Uh, and if we repeat the same uh, decisions that we make instinctively sometimes, sometimes we're going down the path, not of following our intuition, but of kind of repeating the same thing over and over again. And that happens in our work as well as in our 
our relationships and our personal lives. Which brings me to uh, uh, my next question is, I think it's very difficult sometimes to tell our intuition from a trigger into past damage. Would you speak to that? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, one of the ways we can do that is to use the clue life cycle to write down the clue. And for somebody who acts too quickly, the clue life cycle can kind of slow you down a little bit. So you wait for confirmation and validation before moving forward. And for somebody that does too much analysis and doesn't dump it enough, it gives them a reason to act when they have a confirmation. So in the book, I also talk about anti-clues. And anti-clues are ways for us to, to re- recognize that we are going down a path that is repeating a pattern. So for example, I was on a radio show a couple years ago when I published that entrepreneurship, and this woman said, I keep getting into these business relationships that I can't get out of. <laughs> and I said, well, has this happened at least three times? She said, yeah. I said, okay, that's an external pattern, which is probably caused by some internal pattern. So for her, I asked her to to think about what happens when she gets into these business relationships. And she described that she got really excited about some possibility of working with this person. And so they end up signing a contract right away. And then later, you know, she regrets it and can't get out of it. <laughs> and, and I said, well, the anti-clue here is the excitement that you feel when you're about to jump into this new business relationship. And so you should take a deep breath. You should recognize this anti-clue and, and set up for yourself uh, some hurdles to jump over to say, okay, let me think about that for a week or two, and I need to look for confirmation before I move forward. And so, you know, our, our, our clues and anti-clues are... Uh, uh, basically indications of our patterns. And I like to say that our patterns are like dragons. Uh, and there's a great Chinese saying about dragons, which is that if you try to you know, fight the dragon, it will defeat you. If you try to feed the dragon, it might eat you. But if you learn to ride the dragon and take advantage of its might and its power, you know, uh, then you're golden. And so learning to ride the dragon of our personal patterns is really important because these patterns often come from strengths. So in the case of this woman, and I often do this myself when I jump into new new, new ideas and, and projects, it's a strength that she gets excited and, and wants to work with people. In my own case, it, it's a strength that I like to jump into something new, but we need to pull that back. And so when I was in China a few years ago, uh, I, I noticed a statue of a dragon in one of their ancient castles, and I said, what's that under their, their, their claws? Because they always had something, and they said, oh, that's the pearl that the dragon is guarding. And so even though our patterns are like dragons, there's a pearl in there, which is our internal strengths. And so, you know, we have to protect the pearl, but also learn to ride the dragon. Mm. Put the reins on the thing, huh? <laughs> That's right. In some <laughs> cases, put the reins. In other cases, you know, your pattern may be not jumping in. And so you have, you have to act the other way. And so, you know, part of treasure hunt is, is to have a way of left brain and right brain way together to make decisions and come up with a new navigational system that respects your own strengths, your own weaknesses, your personal patterns, and the things that you were meant to do in this life that you feel called to do. So you're triangulating between intention, patterns, and intuition, I mean, logic and intuition. That's right. Yeah. So try to find a middle point between all of those. Because the problem is not that you know, that we should never use logic. It's that we shouldn't use too much logic <laughs> and not that we should use intuition all the time because sometimes we can delude ourselves. And so we have to confirm and validate the intuition. So bouncing um, back and forth. 
That's right. Yeah. So in fact, you know, I was at Stanford Business School and you know, the, our professor taught us, you know, all about putting together these spreadsheets and you, and you laid out all the probabilities and you said, this choice is the best expected value. And then I raised my hand and I said, well, what if you change, the, you know, the values over here on the left? He goes, well, then all the, everything changes. <laughs> <laughs> and so logic alone wasn't enough. He said, that's why, you know, you, the manager or the person making the decision, you know, have to also, you know, trust your gut. That's why they pay you the big bucks is to, to make that decision. It's not just about looking at logic. It's about combining that with your own intuition. So let me see if I've got this right. So logic works within your compartments and intuition works within the space between. Yeah, that's a good way, I think, of describing it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and And yet we've been taught to ignore that. We have. uh, And it's partly because we don't you know, in our media, we don't talk about some of the intuition that, that people have had to follow, you know, to become successful. Uh, and, you know, again, I'm in Silicon Valley and there's a lot of venture capitalists here. Uh, one of the stories I recall in the book is a, is a venture capitalist who made a decision about investing in a company based on synchronicity, but of course he didn't call it that. <laughs> and so he was thinking of investing in this company, which allowed you to watch video on your phone. This was years ago. So this was like, you know, kind of pre-iPhone. Um, and he wasn't sure if he should do the investment. He went to a, a baseball game here in San Francisco, and he was sitting up in the stands, and right in front of him, there was uh, a man with his young son who were trying to watch the game, and that's when you know you know, you, you may be getting a message is when somebody's right in your line of sight. <laughs> you can't ignore them. <laughs> and well, the, turns out his son, the young boy, was a little vision uh, impaired, and so he couldn't see what was going on. And so he overheard him say to his dad, you know, I wish I could watch the game right here on my phone <laughs> so oh, that I wow. could see what's going on. And so that yeah. external event tied to something he had been thinking about, which was making this investment in this company. And there's the now, synchronicity. We're going to have to take another quick break. We'll pick up with synchronicity on the other side. Ritz and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world, I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? I always love to hear from my listeners. You can email me at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one who'd enjoy hearing them. Our guest this hour is Ritz Rizwan Virk, his best-selling author of Zen Entrepreneurship, Walking the Path of the Career Warrior, and Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Inner Clues to Find True Success. His website, zenentrepreneur.com. Riz, we were talking about the little boy in the bleachers that couldn't see very well. Right. So, you know, that as I said, that was a great example of a clue because it there was a coinciding of the inner event, which is that this venture capitalist was thinking about investing in this company, to sh- which shows videos on your phone. And again, this was, you know, a few years ago, so it was not a common thing. Uh, and this external event of this young boy and his father sitting right in front of him at the, the baseball game here in San Francisco. And, and and the young boy saying, well, I wish I could see the, the game on my phone because he couldn't really see what was going on you know, all the way down there on the field. Uh, and as, as we, we started the conversation, I think many successful people rely on their intuition. Now, in this case, that uh, venture capitalist ended up investing in the company, but now it wasn't just the intuition. So... Uh, that was a confirmation of something that he had been exploring. And so he still had to do all the work that he would normally do in making an investment and validate the predictions. He had to do all the left brain stuff. But often, you know, it's a matter of bringing the intuition into the physical world and then doing the work of, of translation into a language, you know, that people will understand. And, and then you can kind of have the best of both worlds. You can make things happen in your career based on the clues and intuition, but also based upon justification to, to other people. So, so basically this information is coming to us through all sorts of different symbology. And then we have to translate it into logic before we can present it. That's right. And, and sometimes we have to, you know, we have to quiet our minds to be able to see it. There's a great quote from Steven Spielberg you know, he says that he always tells his kids that that dreams are like whispers. And he put his hand on his side of his head and he said, it's kind of whispering in your ear. But, and then he puts his hand in front of his head and said, there's all this loud stuff coming at us every day. And we have to kind of stop listening to all that and listen to, you know, the the, the, the whisper or the little voice, as I like to call it. Um, and, and then we have to translate it. Uh, and, and, you know, both are important. There's a Great story about Leo Szilard, who is a physicist who not many people know about, but you know he had been looking into atomic phenomena, and when he was in London, he was about to cross the street, and something about the lights changing you know, gave him an idea, and he just stopped in the middle of the road as he thought about atomic physics and how if you could release a neutron, you could have a, this sustained chain reaction. Well, he basically come up with the idea for the atomic bomb. You know, he wrote it down. <laughs> he wrote it down and he gave it to you know the British War Office, and they had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> They're like, "Well, very good, jolly good, thank you." Right? <laughs> so just kind of put it away uh, because he hadn't translated into a language that they would understand. Years later, 
you know, they were worried that the Germans were making the bomb and he was in the U.S. He went to Einstein, who then, you know, talked to some, a friend of his who took it to President Roosevelt and he put it in terms that President Roosevelt could understand. Uh, and so, you know, I bring this up more as an example of translating an intuition into language that can be understood by the people that can help you, you know, to get there. Uh, more than you know, we should all create atomic bombs. That's not the point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, no, no more atomic bombs, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, Riz, how can we use this hidden information to create successful lives? Well, you know, by incorporating this ability to to recognize clues, to look for confirmation, and creating our own uh, navigational system in the world around us, I think we can all be more successful. And you know, I define success. You know, not so much in financial terms, although success, you know, might mean different things to different people. I believe we all have a treasure map, and and like Indiana Jones in the films, you know, it would be nice if it would, the, the map was just laid out, like in the Indiana Jones film, if he just saw, oh, there's the Ark of the Covenant, I'd just go and get it, right? <laughs> but that's not usually how it works. Usually, he has to follow one clue, and that clue leads to the next clue, <laughs> which leads to the next clue. And, you know, our lives are, are a little bit like that. We have a vague sense of things we were meant to do, but we sometimes need to follow the clues. And sometimes, you know, the clues manifest years later into an overall larger pattern that, that's really what I call our personal treasure map. Um, in, in some of the Buddhist and Chinese traditions, they talk about before we're born, you know, we have things we were meant to do, but then... Meng Po, the Chinese goddess of forgetfulness, she brews a tea of forgetfulness that we drink. And so when we get here, we don't remember what we were meant to do. Uh, but we do have uh, glimpses of it. And that's what I think these glitches in the matrix are. And so the more we follow the threads that are revealed by each of these clues, the more likely we are to be able to get to uh, the meaningful treasure that I think is the work we were meant to do and be successful at you know, in this life. We know the um, in Celtic shamanism, there's always these stories of the uh, hunter being lured into the uh, woods by the hind and through his curiosity. And, and all, all shamanic traditions have something similar, a story that tells you that it's the curiosity, it's the lure to find the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that actually shifts our perspective enough that we can see what's right in front of us. Would you speak to that? Yeah, you know, I think that's that's very true. And, and you know, in some shamanic traditions, you know, they they say that the story stalks the storyteller sometimes, <laughs> rather than the other way around. Uh, and so I think you know, as we learn to pay attention to what our mind is naturally drawn to, we start to perceive these clues. And sometimes, you know, we may be off track, and and then you know, these clues can help us to get on track. Uh, sometimes we ignore a clue, right? I'll, I'll tell you, I had a dream when I was starting a company a few years ago uh, about a product that looked like a spider. And when I woke up, I thought, that's kind of interesting, but yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to do what we think is going to work. And so to make a long story short, six months later, our first product didn't work. And we ended up building that product that I had seen in my dreams. And that was much more successful. <laughs> so sometimes even when you ignore a big clue, it, you know, you can be led to that place anyway with this branching and merging of these different worlds, you know, in the quantum sense. You can still end up at the same place even if you take, you know, different different paths together. I have a real curiosity. Does the average person have greater access to the quantum level information at this particular time in history? And if so, why do you think that is? Th that's an interesting question, you know. I mean, I think... Uh, 
at different times in history, it may be easier for people here on in this three-dimensional reality to access this information. I mean, I think on the one hand, you know, we have people that are more closed-minded about some of this stuff. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have a lot more uh, openness. Uh, we have a lot of different types of energy coming through, uh, people who are looking beyond the material. And I think, you know, the younger generation is helping here in that they have a very different perspective than, you know, the previous generations, uh, which were worried more about the material side of things. And, you know, I saw some surveys recently which showed that with millennials, you know, they care much more about having some meaning in what they're doing than they do just about the money. And I think that's a perspective that, you know, is helping overall for, for us to be aware of other possibilities and, and to, to get these messages. How much do you think that our, our modern technology has to do with that? Because we're, we're being shown, you know, impossible things are happening. We can make impossible things happen through technology, kind of like. Do you think that's expanding our horizons? Well, I think it's expanding our horizons of what's possible. You know, so I'm, I'm a technologist and, you know, I did a lot with the iPhone when it first came out and smartphones. And, you know, today you can do, you know, what was shown in Star Trek, right, <laughs> with the communicator, except you can see pictures of the person around the world through something like FaceTime. And this summer I was at MIT and ran a program for virtual reality and augmented reality startups. And when you start to think about you can immerse yourself fully in this virtual environment and think you're there, that technology helps us to understand a metaphor that many in the Buddhist traditions talk about. The waking world really is like a dream, or it's easier for us to understand it now by saying it's like a virtual reality. <laughs> you know, and the fact there's scientists like uh, and engineers and entrepreneurs like Elon Musk who believe we may be living inside a simulation, which that model actually ties very well to the ancient traditions, saying that it's a type of illusion that that we are involved with, but it's one of many. Uh, simulations or virtual worlds that seem real at the time. Um, but they're simulations the, of our own making, aren't they? Right. And we have uh, a hand to play, <laughs> each of us, right, in creating these simulations. And each of us is is perceiving it differently. And that's why, you know, I say that the, the clues that can lead us to our treasure are very personalized, right, for each of us, uh, because each of us is living in a slightly different <laughs> but similar virtual reality, if you will. Well, it's, it's, we're just about out of time, but I, I can't thank you enough for being on with us. And, you know, if you're going to say one phrase <laughs> that uh, will help people to, to engage in this, what would it be? I'd say follow the clues to find the treasure. Yeah. Uh, beautifully put. It, it gives hope because that means we can recreate the world, doesn't it? It definitely does, yes. <laughs> well, Riz, congratulations on the launching of your book and for being part of the solution. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me on the program. Absolute pleasure. Our guest this hour has been Rizwan Verk, the best-selling author of Zen Entrepreneurship, Walking the Path of the Career Warrior, and his latest book, Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Inner Clues to Find True Success. His website is zenentrepreneur.com. This has been the Science of Magic. Join our email family to be the first to receive our thought-provoking, topic-driven episode collections at our website, thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you follow your inner clues and create a new world. <laughs>